Are you tired of waiting on clients for documents and answers to questions? Do you have bottlenecks in your internal workflows? Are you looking for an amazingly simple way to manage both your external client communications as well as internal workflow and processes? Client Hub is Workflow 2.0, the first workflow solution that has client collaboration built in. Stay tuned to hear from more from our sponsor, Client Hub, later in the episode. Because I feel like we need to reprogram accountants too, because I need we need to get away from this like number of hours being this badge of honor. You know, it's just it's a very dysfunctional thing that happens, I think. And and just whenever a client calls, we run to do whatever, you know, just so reactive to what the client is asking for and not even thinking about, you know, is this a reasonable request right now, you know, or should, can we be responding to this in a different way, you know, just kind of like taking a breath and dealing with that. So. Today is Saturday, May 22nd. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are joined today by Kristen Keats, CPA, founder of Breakaway Bookkeeping and Advising, practice owner at Sherwood Tax and Accounting. Kristen, it was so great to finally meet you recently. We've followed each other for a long time on social media, and I've, I've admired what you've been up to. And thanks for coming on the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on with you guys after being a longtime listener. We're so familiar with you on Twitter. I actually thought you were on the show before. That's, that's, that's how familiar we are on social media. Yes. It's, uh, yes, it's, it's funny meeting people like in actual real life, as opposed to just being on social media. I know. Right. I like to, you know, I'm a big proponent of remote work and all that, but then that in-person element is so important sometimes, right? Yes. It's like when we met in person, I was like, oh, I know you. And, and, and we had this wonderful conversation about your practice and what you're up to. And actually, I would I would love if you if you could just take a, a moment and you know tell us a bit about well you've got multiple businesses which I always find interesting like you had a, a Venn diagram you showed me yes of all of the businesses you've got but like maybe pick one and uh, kind of like tell us a little bit about where you are and what that is and and what you do as a firm owner yes thank you happy to do that yes so um, I am one of the founders of Breakaway Bookkeeping and Advising and uh, my partner Martin Mall and I founded it we officially like started it in September 2019 but we had been working on the idea for it for about two years before it so the tagline for Breakaway is bring joy to accounting because we you know I've been a CPA for let's just say over 20 years because I stopped counting and um, it, it, there's so many fun and cool things about being an accountant and working working with clients and strategizing with them. But the way that public accounting is done, it has sucked all the joy out of it because we have billable hour requirements and we work God awful hours and we, you know, end up not having a family life. I mean, you guys know, you talk about it. Everybody Mm -hmm. who's listening to this probably understands how terrible it is. So we wanted to take all the cool things about being an accountant and just isolate those. And so we worked for two years to say, how can we make just being an advisor or an accountant We take away all the things that drag you down, like, you know, engagement letters and, you know, marketing or like making a website, anything that we thought created drag on that relationship between an accountant and a client. And we tried to solve for that with Breakaway. 
And are your employees all remote? I mean, obviously with the pandemic, probably mostly remote, but are you a hundred percent remote firm? You're we are a hundred percent remote. And actually we don't have employees per se. Uh, Breakaway is set up so that each of our advisors is independent. So they, we say, you know, work for yourself and not by yourself. So they are actually in charge of running their own practice. And we just give them all the tools to support them in running that practice. So, so it's not not really a franchise model, but kind of from it a support standpoint, it's similar. Is. It okay. actually is okay. technically a franchise because if you're not an employee model, you have to kind of just legally be a franchise. But then what we do is we provide them with like a community. And so we so everybody can they still feel like they're part of a team because they can still interact with each other. We have conferences, we have a Slack channel. So they still feel like they have all the resources of being part of a firm without kind of that, like, you have to bill this much or, you know, we, we don't put any kind of parameters. In fact, like there are clients technically because they're paying us a, a fee to provide services to them. And so they just go out and run their practice. And do they run their practice under their own branding and name or is it under your branding? It's under the breakaway branding. Breakaway branding. Got it. Yep. I understand. Perfect. Yep. So it's a franchise type model. Everyone is independent. Why do that versus a traditional partnership model that works? You know, it's known to work. And well, I don't know how well it works all the time, but you know, the right. you went with something different than the established model. We did. We did. And it's funny because so the idea came out of I was leaving the firm where I was uh, I was previously. And uh, so Martin and I have been known each other for a long, long time, over 20 years. And uh, I was wanting to leave my firm that I was about to make partner for various reasons I needed to leave. And I was going to start my own firm, but I was so overwhelmed with with all the things that it takes to just start your own firm, you know, like hiring employees and getting health insurance and getting a 401k, like getting all those things. Martin at the time was the CEO of a regional firm, a pretty big firm. And he said, you know what, we're building out our, our CAS department, just come work for the firm. You can help us build that. I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. That's in my wheelhouse. You know, Mm -hmm. I've done that on a smaller scale before. So I just went to go do that turns out it wasn't a good fit long-term because like me at a large accounting firm with these huge clients was not a good fit at all because I'm just all about small business. But what happened there was I got introduced to working with an offshore team. That firm had worked with a team in India for over 15 years. And once I started working with them, I'm like, this is the piece. This is the piece that I was missing. So one of the pillars of how Breakaway works is that we have um, a dedicated offshore team that we actually have part ownership of. Uh, We own it with like 10 other accounting firms that um, are all over the place, Australia, UK, some of them are in the US. And um, so that way you have access to staffing to help with your jobs. They do all the detail work, which frees up our advisors. So this is a huge benefit to the breakaway advisors. They get access to this team that's well-trained. You know, Basically, the work goes through a couple levels of review before it even gets back to the breakaway advisor. Then they can just present results and interact with their clients. Interesting. So it's like a shared services. You could do this in a partnership, but the way you've set it up, I feel like you're not dealing with, like, what are the things that you don't deal with at Breakaway that you would would be normally a problem in a partnership model? 
So I th- it's funny because we actually have this conversation because sometimes because people don't run their practices the way Kristen Keats would run it or the way Martin Mall would run it, right? So we like we so we lose control uh, in that way. But it's also a pretty beautiful thing too to watch people do it in a different way than we, especially because here was something unexpected. I didn't have a ton of people that looked like me as far as like my experience wanting to be breakaway advisors. A lot of a lot of the advisors came from industry. They didn't even come from public accounting. So they're not even used to that whole like partnership model. Um, and so it, it's interesting watching them run a practice. So there's no billable hours that we don't charge by the hour at all. So pricing is a huge thing for us. We have a lot of discussions and meetings and we actually have like a mentor group um, similar to like what Mark Wickersham does. Like we have that just within Breakaway. So that's one of the things that we do is help people price because we just think that having that model at where all the p- partners get rich and um and by the way they're still unhappy so it's not like they're having any fun like no one in an accounting firm is having any fun because some people are making more money than others and they you know are making it off the backs of like the lower level staff people we just like had no interest in creating that because it we because again like bringing joy is our north star of how we run accounting or uh, how we run breakaway mm-hmm. and so that's why we're like Anything that is like that where somebody's got a boss, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, we just didn't want any part of that. So, you know, how happy is everyone at Breakaway? How are you doing given that we just uh, we just finally finished tax season here? Busy season? Yeah, I was feeling very joyful. And then I bought a tax practice in uh, September of last year. And um, with the idea that by... So we solved for kind of like the bookkeeping and advising and that piece of thing of bringing joy to accounting, but there was still tax that was a huge piece uh, that that kind of hadn't been solved for both the clients and the advisors, by the way. So when I say bring joy, it's not just for the advisors. I feel like it's a bad experience for a lot of clients of accountants mm-hmm. as well. And so we're trying to solve for both of that. And then so tax was just such a huge piece of that. But having said that, turns out that, you know, the practice that I bought was while it was progressive in some ways, it was still very traditional in a lot of ways too. And so I found myself just back at a very, you know, just right back in tax season and then people quit and then, you know, life happens. So somebody had to go out in the middle of tax season because of a family emergency you know, we're all like, it's all women. So we all have kids, you know, we all have life that's Mm -hmm. still happening. And yet the clients are still calling us, where's my tax return? Where's my tax return? So just that whole stress of tax season. So my goal this summer then is to really, now that I've kind of been through a whole tax season there is to really look at our processes, look at how we communicate with the clients, look at the client list and see who of these clients, you know, do we need to call out of here because they're just not working with the model that we want and really put Sherwood tax into the same model as breakaway so that we can bring that joy to the tax field as well. And that, that means the same thing, utilizing an offshore team, um, you know, leveraging down as much as possible, making our account that are here in the U.S. really client service managers and not so much putting data into forms because Mm -hmm. that's not where clients get the value being more proactive with the clients on tax planning and things like that. So I definitely have a vision of where I want it to go that I'm not even close to being there yet. But but that's that's the goal with Sherwood Tax. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. 
I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. Should we jump into this week's news? Yeah, let's do it. Before we do that, I do have to, I know you uh, mentioned, Blake, about how it's nice to finally meet people in person. Yes, yeah. So let's just, like, for a rant of the week, if you want to be like, can virtual conferences all die now that the pandemic's over? <laughs> like, these tools you have to use to join the virtual conference, and then as a sponsor, you have to set up your virtual booth, and every single app uses a different tool, and the tools are all very buggy. Because I think what they are, I think these tools were optimized for, like, in-person events. Like they work great on a little mobile device, but then you need to, you know, upload the simple things like upload your logo, a URL. And then all these tools have this crazy calendar appointment feature that doesn't tie to your real calendar. And so people can book meetings with you at 2 a.m. because you have no control over the calendars. It's just all the virtual conferences and the apps just need to go away. Just go away. It's been fun dating you for 18 <laughs> months. It's over. Well, I, I don't know about you, but like, so, uh, you know, working at a vendor now, when I'm setting up the giraffe booth for a virtual event, it's like a web page and it lives somewhere on this event website. And I, I really don't think people go to them. Like, do that's what I was going to ask. Like, how many of the attendees actually like go to the vendor booths? Right. Like, so I could tell you my numbers from Tuesday. Or yeah. Whatever. I did. Uh, what is it? The North America. It's uh, accounting and finance North America show. I had. Th- I engaged with three or four accountants and bookkeepers and I had three vendors spam me. <laughs> so you had like just as many vendors. That's money well spent. Other vendors. Because I think, I, think what, I think some of the vendors just go and they just start clicking on each person. Imagine at an in-person conference, if you were the vendor, you could just go up to every person, tap them on the shoulder, turn around and hand them your business card, which you could do, I guess, but you'd be really obnoxious. But people do that in the virtual world. Yeah. It's, it's, and then they don't even check to see you. I'm like, I mean, even obviously I was representing Malio, but I mean, I've had other payments companies approach me. I mean, obviously competitors, they don't pay attention at all. They're just blind spamming people on the platform. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm one of those people where I have a hard time sitting in front of my screen for an actual Zoom meeting with live human beings. And so to attend a virtual conference and just be watching webinar after webinar after webinar. And meanwhile, I can't, I can't stop my email from coming in. I can't focus on it. I just can't, I can't. Is that what people do when they go to virtual conferences is they they just sit in front of a yes. screen and just watch it all day? No. Like, <laughs> no, they do their emails. They do exactly what you're yeah. doing. So then how much are you really getting out of it? Because it's hard enough to disconnect at a at an in-person conference, right? You always see the people on their laptops in between sessions, you know, cramming in some emails. Um, 
but it's like, I can do it. I can like shut it off. I can put it on, on my do not disturb, but like at a virtual conference, I just can't, I can't bring myself to Well, do that. and one of the things that I've always said is like the main benefit I get from the conferences is not necessarily like the content of the classes that you're going to. It's the connections that you make in the breaks and at, you know, at the lunch table and stuff like that's where I always got the most value is talking to other practitioners and seeing what they're doing and how they're solving for the, and the, some of the classes can be like talking points, but like, I, so you don't even have any of that at all in the virtual conference. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I did one where they had um, like speed networking. Have any of you seen this? It's, it's where you, you click a button and it takes you into. Yes. Like a breakout session. Yeah. It takes you into like a video chat and then yes. there's a timer. It was for this one, there was a timer and it was like a two minute timer and you would just be paired up with a random other person. Yeah, I've done an event on Hopin. Hopin has Hopin that, had is, that, yeah. yeah. And, and I think Hopin really, what's interesting about Hopin, it didn't try to be take a typical in-person event and make it virtual. It kind of is building out its own platform. But it, it, I think the 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 whole as on the whole, it's such a soured taste. Like nobody even wants to try any new platforms now. Well, the in-person conferences are coming up. We do have AICPA engage. In July, I will be there. David, you will be there. Maybe the podcast will be there. I, I'm booking travel for four conferences: two in June, July, and two in, or whatever. Two in June, two in July. So I will be four in-person conferences. Boom, 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 boom. Was it a little surreal to you know book plane flights? Like for me, I, I, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Actually, it's on the list today because oh. it's starting to run out. Of, I need to chop chop. But yes, it's, it, it does feel weird. Yeah, you better hurry up because those prices are rising. I hear it's just flights to Vegas. Easy peasy. Well, where where do we want to start with with the news? What's what's top of mind? We have a review. Um, that's, oh yeah, uh, from Can- uh, Canadian Review. If you want to read that, because we actually have a Canadian article. So, all right, let's let's read this review. Great show. Could use a bit more Canadian content. Five stars. I love listening to this show to get updates on all things new and exciting in the accounting world. As a lazy accountant, I love learning new, more efficient ways of performing those boring accounting tasks. Also, living in a market with a serious talent shortage, it is always good to learn how to do more with less human capital. I have been recently catching up on some episodes that I've missed and listened to episode 214 that featured Rachel Fish as a guest host. Have you considered having her on either full-time or a regular guest appearance to offer a Canadian take on your content? I think she would fit in nicely. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. That's from Jolyn. Uh, OPYC via Apple Podcasts in Canada. And I think Rachel is actually the most frequent guest we have had on this show. And maybe we should have international correspondence and we officially designate people <laughs> in different regions and then they have a schedule where they come on to report on. Maybe, maybe that could be a, or maybe they should call in because that's usually the way those correspondents go, right? Oh, we have so and so reporting in and they have their really crappy mobile connection and they're calling in from the field. So the good news is we have an article about Canada this week. Tell me more. So KPMG Canada launched their new cloud uh, bookkeeping service, cloud accounting bookkeeping service called Finance Plus. Finance Plus. So Finance Plus. So everybody, this is hot right now. You name your service Disney Plus, Discovery Plus. Paramount Plus. And any any service-related business, uh, subscription business, you, you name it Plus. So they came up with Finance Plus and it was really oh, funny because- oh, oh. Well, hold on for a second. You know, like you would think that after Google Plus, people would stop doing this. Right? I, I keep thinking about that, but it's amazing how quickly everybody Google Plus was so insignificant. Everybody forgot about that, right? I guess it just so. Didn't, didn't matter. Anyway, continue. But it was funny because on uh, LinkedIn, I saw Ryan Lozanis really criticize the name because he's like, how 
how much money did they spend to put into this name, which is kind of a dumb <laughs> name. And actually, KPMG has KPMG Spark, right? I know they shut it down. They shut that down in the UK. They still have that in the US, KPMG Spark, Spark but in Canada, apparently they didn't, and now it's Finance Plus. And essentially, it's going to um, you know, have a single sign-on, central hub, software tools. They're going to use QuickBooks, Zero, HubDoc, Dex, ADP, WagePoint. It's basically just a small cloud accounting firm that they're launching. But it's Canadian news. They're, they're jumping in again, because I think they may have had Spark there at one time as well. It, which, which was the big four firm that gave up? in Canada and sold off their cloud practice. Was that PwC? Oh, that was the other just one. recently? Um it was a but it was a major sell off. It was a major yeah. division of the company, right? Yeah, they sold off like the whole the whole thing. It was all their uh, cloud we were talking about it on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about it. Well, yeah, with Rachel at that time. I, I don't remember the name yeah. of it. Because it was a name that none of us were really kind of familiar with. But it was a significant cloud accounting uh, division. So this keeps happening. This keeps happening, right? Big four decide, oh, look, cloud accounting, exciting. They try to make it work. They probably can't make it fit into their traditional model. And then they give up a few years later. But maybe this time will be the, you know, maybe this will be it. Maybe they'll figure it out. This it's time. the plus in the name. The plus. People get it. KPMG Finance Plus. Oh, gosh. I could have, I, <laughs> I could have done better than that on my own. You know, just they should hire me, pay me $100,000. I'll give them a better name. Just, just wait. We're going to see. You're going to see some of the apps start doing this. A QuickBooks Plus or Zero Plus. It's just coming. You just know it's coming. Uh, the king would be QuickBooks Desktop Plus. That would be the best. <laughs> like, that would be the king <laughs> of the whole thing. So here's what they're doing in the service uh, for those who are interested. Bank and credit card reconciliation, accounts receivable, accounts payable, payroll assistance, uh, sales tax, GST slash HST, the uh, Canadian tax stuff they got to worry about management reporting, budgeting assistance, and you get a dedicated point person from a KPMG accountant. Uh, and then they have a diagram showing the different apps they're working with. QuickBooks, Xero, Dex, ADP, WagePoint, and HubDoc. And then there's like this picture of, of some sort of dashboard that looks like it was like mocked up and isn't real. Uh, actually, it still has the the lorem ipsum, you know, the fake text <laughs> in the screenshot. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there really is a dashboard. Anyway, if anyone has any um, inside intel on a KPMG Finance Plus, we'd love to hear it. Rachel, we're talking to you, Rachel Fish. Well, that's interesting, David. So maybe let's go back to tax season. Kristen, we were talking a little bit about that. Burnout. Uh, I think I think tax Twitter has really taken off in recent years, especially this year. And so it was interesting to me observing the tax Twitter Hashtag and just seeing how beat up people are getting or did tax Twitter was like my therapy <laughs> during tax season. It was like it was like our support group, I think, for all the tax accountants. And some of the stories about clients like showing up to people's houses and demanding that they on their day off handle a return. I just couldn't believe that people would do that. And I've seen some crazy emails that people have pasted from their clients on Facebook. It's shocking. Yes. Uh, how rude people are. Or can be, or yes. now demanding. It is shocking, and like a lot of um, I I actually would take screenshots of some of the because I don't think any of my staff is on tax Twitter, but just to make them feel better, like we're not the only ones that are dealing with this. Like I would put screenshots in our like instant messages and stuff, just so to try to make them feel better. <laughs> This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. 
Are your clients creating bottlenecks in your workflow? Typical workflow systems are built for internal teams only and not clients, leaving your team constantly waiting for client responses. Client Hub is a modern all-in-one workflow platform with a built-in client portal for secure client collaboration that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work and includes an internal workspace for your team to manage those work deadlines. And it even includes tools to help your team do the work faster. Your team will love the powerful checklist workflows, tools to easily automate the reclassifying of uncategorized transactions, and the on-demand access to each client's tech stack. Your clients will love the easy-to-use Client Hub web portal and mobile app. Client Hub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. To learn more about this amazing offer and their money-back guarantee, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. Client Hub, sophisticated yet amazingly simple. So how do you deal with burnout, Kristen? Like, what's your strategy? I mean, you haven't, this is your first tax season in a little while because you've been building this other yes, business. Yes, so I took a year off of tax season, which by the way, I mean, to take a year off last year was probably the best year for me to be taking off. Um, and I, I thought the TCJA, I thought that the, the tax law then kind of broke me and I was like, I'm out, I'm done. Um, so yeah, I got back into it this year and how am I dealing with burnout? Well, I actually for sure with tax, I've hired a burnout coach. I'm just feeling it like physically. And I mean, I got to believe everybody else is too. And I'm just, again, listening to the tax Twitter. And I'm just like, you know, again, if, if our goal is to retain staff and bring joy to accounting and just make everybody, you know, have a healthy, well-rounded life, I need to address this. And so we're going to have this burnout coach come and really kind of do like individual sessions with everybody and then do a group session. And um, because I feel like we need to reprogram accountants too, because I need, we need to get away from this like number of hours being this badge of honor, you know, it's just, it's a very dysfunctional thing that happens, I think. And, and just whenever a client calls, we run to do whatever, you know, just so reactive to what the client is asking for and not even thinking about, you know, is this a reasonable request right now, you know, or should, can we be responding to this in a different way, you know, just kind of like taking a breath and dealing with that. So um, that's my, my plan to deal with it. And also to try to, but it's funny because I feel like I have to force people like this weekend after, as I left, I was like, you guys need to not work this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it's, it's hard, right? It's, when, hard. It's, it's once when you get into that mode where you're just grinding. Yes. It's really hard to not grind. Right. And I think it's not even just the work so much as it is just kind of feeling like we're beat up by the client. So that's my other strategy is I have a list. I call it the naughty list of the clients that we are going to be sending goodbye letters to. Because if you're just like harassing me, if you're harassing the staff, that's not what we're about. And we're not yep. going to put up with it. <laughs> yeah. And and being able to vote clients out, out of the firm, right, can probably, like being able to think about that, <laughs> that list as you go through tax season probably helps. Yes. And the demand for your services are higher than ever. So there's that's probably right. going to be more clients fired this year than I have ever so been too. fired. And now I'm wondering, is there, is there, a room for a firm. Like, can you can you move in and just pick up everybody else's pissed off clients? <laughs> I wonder. I'm sure. I'm sure you could if that's the model that you would want to run under. And it yeah, could it be a model? Be- I guess is that in my brain. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering. Could you just take the the hard? You, you charge a premium, but just take the most insane hardest clients. 
figure out how it's to. It's not any this. job that I would want to have. So if somebody <laughs> wants that, you know what, let's uh, have them email me and I'll start referring clients to them. Happy to do that. I've got a ton of desktop payroll clients that, you know, you're welcome to them. Maybe it could be like that. Um, isn't there that restaurant in Chicago where like they make burgers and they insult you the whole time? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> It's famous. I think I've been to a place like that at Disney World or something like. Uh, yeah, it, it's like a thing, right? It's like yeah. it's like the servers are all just super rude, and it's like that's the that's the gimmick. So maybe you start a firm. Yeah. Where everybody okay, in the firm is. Could do. They're just a total jerk to the clients and the. You know, yeah. The oh, we could do that. <laughs> there you go. That would be kind of fun, right? You could actually like charge people, you could charge tax preparers to work at that firm, you know, for a little while, just to. Be able to be mean. Or to tax the Twitter can conspire all together, and I'll send them to you know a pilot or any of these these the new tech firms that are you know, worth a hundred billion dollars. <laughs> like just to hear, hey, I found out about this great service, and just send them over there. So to close this out, uh, let's quantify the cost of burnout. David, you brought this great article from Psychology Today. Pre-pandemic, the cost of burnout was estimated to be anywhere from one hundred and twenty-five to one hundred ninety billion dollars annually. Macro and micro, there is a cost to burnout, and I think we all know it for sure at our firms. Uh, but like, just as a society, if we can figure out how to deal with this, we can save ourselves a lot of a lot of trouble. And I imagine it's, it's, it's burning out on all fronts. You have work burnout, but then you have at home burnout. Yeah. Well, yeah, like the 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 burnout from just being at home all the time, trying to work with the family around. Um, I mean, you know, I, I did it for like three days before I gave up and. <laughs> You know, Blake was move. the first to bail out of the whole thing. I, I bailed immediately. I'm like three days at home in an apartment with a five year old. Let's get out of here and go. You know, try to find some more space. Back in you know March of last year, so I sympathize. I've got some follow up on stories that we've talked about in the past. The restaurant revitalization fund, this uh, stimulus stuff. You know, stimulus just never seems to end, and this is one of the last few programs that is open, but. Probably by the time this episode publishes, it will be closed. The SBA said that it's closing the Restaurant Revitalization Fund on Monday, just three weeks after opening. There was so much demand for the $29 billion fund that they have already received more applications than they can possibly fund. Well, it was 2X, right? I think they were only no. approved $28 million or $30 million and seven, yeah. or 70, oh no, not million, sorry, billion, right? Yep. And seventy billion in applications. Applications. Yeah, yeah. So this this particular figure from restaurantdive.com says, uh, as of this is a recent article, they've received three hundred and three thousand applications, totaling more than sixty nine billion dollars in requested funds. Uh, the so far, the SBA, of course, is still keeping up the pace that it did during the PPP. They've only approved thirty eight thousand applications so far. So there's a huge queue, and they're just cutting it off. They're like, no more. We can't. We can't take any more. But there's still money available for the smaller establishments that with less than fifty thousand dollars of revenue. So if you have super teeny 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 clients, you could still help some of them apply and get this money. The child tax credit expansion is kicking in July fifteenth with monthly payments to families. It's really interesting because it's taking the child tax credit from an annual thing and make it a month, making it a monthly thing. And the IRS is going to have to administer this whole thing. Another crazy program that they've got to deal with. Um, you know, in the middle of like an unending, you know, tax season and the pandemic, they're going to be cutting a lot of checks. 39 million families with children are going to start getting checks July 15th, monthly payments 
through the end of December unless the program is expanded. But 60% of their printers are broken. How is this possible? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Didn't I read they're setting up like a portal or something to take the information from, because, because like, okay, what if you're like a family that there's a lot of divorced people that like switch off their dependents every year? (laughs) So you're going to have to go in there and update that or I, (laughs) how do they know where to send the check? Right? Is it just based on like the address on the return? I feel like there's going to be a lot of mail that doesn't get delivered, and then they have to like what like sort that out. This I is mean, going to be the next opening for fraud. Hey, they, they, this is going to be massively massive amounts of fraud in this. One more follow up here: uh, Under Armour. We talked about Under Armour and their um, SEC settlement because they were pulling forward orders from uh, future quarters. Yep. And a judge just authorized Under Armour shareholders to sue over this. So while Under Armour has settled with the SEC, they are now facing a shareholder lawsuit from shareholders said, you know, the company misled us and and therefore we experienced um, harm as a result of that because, well, what, we probably bought stock because they were doing great, right? <laughs> or we didn't sell it because it looked like they were doing great. And really, they were just manipulating uh, the numbers. And again, I just have to say the thing that like shocks me about this is that Under Armour settled this uh, and like nobody at Under Armour is facing any sort of, um, you know, like no individual at Under Armour is facing any sort of penalty. Yeah. Or, or who or the firm that audited them, right? Like nobody, nobody hit the brakes on this or report, you know, yeah, and then so. stopped this from happening. Everybody just signed off on it and kept moving on with life. So that's my follow-up. Um, I had uh, another taxpayer-related thing. So I know we rip on the AICPA, AICPA a lot, kind of, indirectly and directly on the show. But they actually um, made some recommendations. So they wrote a new letter to the IRS commissioner. They um, are proposing that some of the penalties uh, and, and better pandemic relief. So you know, for 2020, if people filed late, they didn't pay on time, um, all those penalties, they want some sort of relief for those. And it could just be like a one-time Wait, it could be a waiver. It could be kind of a fixed, like, hey, everybody's capped at this limit for penalties this year or whatever it might be. But the IRS is making recommendations. I'm sorry, the AICPA is really making recommendations to the IRS to help out the taxpayers, which is good. Mm. You know, they're making an argument on everybody's behalf, not just their members' behalf. So, so Kristen, I have to ask you, given that you, you know, you're you're in tax again. Yes. Uh, you know, how how has it been working with the IRS going? Like, what what's the situation with penalties and and oh boy for your clients? Like, is it just a giant mess? It is. It is a giant mess because here's the problem: because the automated notices, you know, those are still going out regardless of how staffed the IRS is. However, if you try to respond to one of those notices and actually try to get get the IRS on the phone, it's hit or miss. Sometimes I get in like in within half an hour, which is always a, a happy surprise. Most of the time you're on hold for a lot or they just disconnect you and say they can't take your call. On the times that I have actually connected with somebody at the IRS, there's times when they ask me to mail things in but I was like, well, you just told me that you're three months behind on the mail. So how can we, so all we can hope for is mm. I just ask them to stop. They they can stop the automated notices for a period of time, but usually it's only like six weeks or something. The problem I have is like, first of all, I feel terrible for the agents because they actually, I feel like they are working hard and trying to do their mm. job. Um, but it's like, it always feels like to the client, it feels like we're making excuses to the clients. Because they're like, you told me this was, you know, this was resolved and you wrote a letter. I'm like, yeah, but they are not opening the mail. Like, 
the clients right, are getting right. so frustrated because, you know, every time a client gets an IRS notice in the mail, they think that they're going to jail. Like they think that it's such a huge deal. So it's, yeah, it's bad. Well, it's a tough situation to be in because the client doesn't know everything that's going on at the IRS and you're the intermediary there. Right. So you're, you're the bearer of all the bad news and they can't help but, you know, associate you with that bad news, right? Like, Correct. so, so, and, and they end up taking out their frustration on us, yes. the CPAs and EAs and all that. So it's, so what do you, like, do you have any opinions on what could be done? What should be done? Um, what we should be doing as a profession to like advocate to, to fix yeah, this? Yeah. And or? I mean, I feel like, I guess the AICPA is trying to advocate for funding the IRS because I mean, just what you guys are saying, like, it's ridiculous. Their systems, first of all, like, I mean, our joke is that we still like they just made it so that you could fax, you know, a response to a notice in. Like we've been able to fax in powers of attorney and stuff. But uh, I mean, let, let's think about that for a second. Faxing, like, right? Yeah, big and, innovation, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's like that's their newest innovation. And so they really their systems. I mean, I don't, I'm only guessing just from the outside in of what their systems must be like. And I mean, you guys were joking about them printing things, but it's true. I'm like, what are they printing? Like, what is happening? So they definitely need to be funded, but it seems like a lot and nobody, and it's unpopular, right? Like it, the, the, you know, general public doesn't want to do that or they don't understand what it means to them. Well, well, as we have discussed <laughs> uh, in previous episodes, the Biden administration is proposing another $80 billion for the IRS over 10 years. Mm -hmm. But the question is, the big question for us practitioners is, does that mean that that money's going to go to improving IRS services or is it just going to go to auditing tax evaders and raising the money that the Biden administration needs for all this infrastructure stuff? There was an article in a in a in accounting today that had a great headline on this topic: "Will Biden's IRS be coming mm -hmm. after your clients?" Right. Um, which you know is always a little bit of a terrifying prospect when we've had such low audit levels. Then all of a sudden to have you know a bunch of clients get audited. Right. I'm I'm sure that. Well, maybe you can tell me, Kristen, does that create like a ton of work for you? Is that, is it, is it like yeah. bad or do you look forward to the, to the extra bill, you know, for audit support? Like, how do you feel about it? Well, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess to address your first thing, I think you're right because right. If they're, if they're operating this like a business, they're going to spend the money to make more money, right? They're not going to spend it necessarily on the infrastructure, even though they should, but you're right. They're probably going to, to spend it more on getting more auditors and uh, you know, yeah, getting more revenue in the door. Um, yes, it does create more work. So it is something to think about. I mean, is it, it's like, not it... something I love doing, you know, I don't let, because it, I feel like it's a little bit, you know, takes advantage of clients' fears, you know, mm. but also they do need a professional to help them navigate it. There's any taxpayer that gets an, an actual audit, or even if it's a correspondence audit or whatever it is, I'm like, you have to be represented in that because people will just start talking to the agent and I'm like, just you stop talking. <laughs> so they absolutely need to be represented, but um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough spot. Uh, one of the interesting items here in the Biden's Biden administration proposal is that they've identified that one of the big sources of unreported business income is pass-through businesses. So, like I imagine, what they mean by that is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you know the the S corps and LLCs, yeah. right. um, where you know it's a partnership return, and so there's there's and and a lot of this income has no external reporting requirement. 
It's not like um, a W-2, right? Where the employer- Well, they do have K-1s, but this is the thing too. Something that's been a little nebulous is are they actually matching up K-1s? Because I think for decades, they were not matching K-1s to individual tax returns. Mm. So that's a good question. I I, I believe it it would not surprise me at all if there's a huge underreporting problem with that. Because I personally have known when when like the individual shareholders do not report what, you know, maybe I prepared a K-1 that they report it differently on their personal return because maybe I don't prepare that. And it the wouldn't K- surprise me. And the K-1 is issued by the pastor entity. Correct. To the individual uh, equity owners. Yes. Um, is that what we call them? And, and that K-1 goes to the IRS too? Yes. So it gets filed as part of the partnership or S-corp return. Hmm. But are they actually matching it up with the, you know, the Joe shareholders social security number and following through on, you know, basis issues? Like there's all kinds of complicated stuff that happens. Right. So I feel like that stuff only pops out if they're actually auditing the individual taxpayers. Got it. Right. Yeah. Because of the basis stuff, like yes. what, how much of this is return of capital versus right. actual income? Yes. And to, to handle that would require some massive computer database, right? Which they obviously don't have. Right. So, so the IRS can't, Fig- they can't reconcile this stuff. So that's the opportunity for the tax evasion, at least one of that's been identified. And so the IRS, um, former commissioner, Charles Rosati, he's, I guess he's working with the administration or making recommendations. And his recommendation is interesting. He says that banks should be reporting net inflows or, or inflows and outflows like to the IRS for accounts owned by pastor entities. So the idea is that the bank would then have to send some sort of you know form, right? It like says here's here's your inflows for the period, here's your outflows, and then there's a net cash amount, right? And and the IRS would then ask you as the entity to reconcile this or something like that's mm-hmm. that's the idea. And so then now there's this whole debate about well, are, are the banks going to be ratting on their clients, right? Do we we really want to create another paperwork? System, right? Aren't they doing this in other countries? I think there's a lot more uh, of this kind of stuff in other countries, but I don't know, like specifically, if but in this, our like, country we decide how much taxes we pay. Right. The government doesn't decide this. Like we, this is the difference of our country and other countries. The self-reporting. Like, this is why. Yeah. This is why right. we're not going to get. Oh, we prepared your return for you. Here you go. Pay right. up. We're never going to. We'll should. never get that system because fundamentally, yeah. as a people in the United States, we're not going to allow that. Although I think it should be a choice. It's funny. Ta- that was the one thing tax Twitter blew up about last week was about Elizabeth Warren saying that the tax preparer industry is getting rich off of the, you know, the complexity of the tax code. Oh, yes. And- uh, hold yeah. on one sec. I have to read this tweet because I've been yes. saving it. So this yeah. is great. So this was Elizabeth Warren at E. Warren, quote, the tax prep industry rakes in big profits by lobbying to make it harder to file your taxes. I fought back with a plan to let millions of Americans sign and return a pre-filled tax form and make the IRS create a free online tax prep service. And then, uh, Kristen, as you said, tax Twitter blew up about this. Maybe you could sort of summarize the reaction. Right. Because I think what her intention was, and this is true, talking about some of the tax prep software do-it-yourself companies that shall remain nameless, but I think she was actually speaking about that industry that has lobbied 
in certain cases to make things more complicated. But I think when you say tax preparing industry, then we get we feel like we get lumped in there, right? The CPAs and the tax preparers. And so we're like, no, no, like I would love it. You know, if you talk to tax practitioners, no one wants to do the random 1040 returns. We want to do the returns that are associated with a business, you know, that we want to get that holistic picture. But just to be a 1040 shop, very few preparers even want to touch that. But then the the choice is to kind of going to the strip mall or the place that's in Walmart to get your tax return done. There's no good solution for that. There's no and and it's unreasonable to think most tax preparers could just probably have the government file their tax return for them. But, but so what's ridiculous about her tweet is she's just this is the yearly tweet, the yearly yes, news article every right. year about TurboTax and H and R Block and blah blah blah. Every year for I've watched this happen for twenty years. Yep. Every year it comes out blah 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 blah. When the reality is Congress made taxes more complicated over ten different bills this year. That's right. Like, give me a break. It, and what, it's by the way, that came it's just pandering. It's just pandering. Yes, by her. It's, it is one hundred percent pandering. She called out for it. Good. Did she listen? I don't know. <laughs> of course not, because it's just pandering to the people that know know better. Right. She, she doesn't care about getting accountants' votes. Nobody cares about accountants. There's not enough of them. She's going for the forty million people that filed the TurboTax and, you know, and they, oh, I just did my tax with TurboTax. I paid my 99 bucks or 149 or whatever I paid for TurboTax. Oh, and then, oh, you're saying I should not pay that? All right, I'll vote for you. That sounds like a reasonable Mm -hmm. thing without the knowledge of like, no, Congress made everything complicated. So let's get to the world of technology and accounting and actually specifically audit. We've been hearing about the potential for technology to transform audit for a long time now. And I think specifically, I got really sick of all those articles about how blockchain is going to transform audit and is going to eliminate auditors. And I think anybody who knows how blockchain actually works knows that like that's not going to happen. We actually are seeing, though, a way in which audit is being changed. KPMG was featured in a story in Accounting Today about how they deployed smart glasses during the pandemic to do remote inventory counts. They bought 150 units of expert eye smart glasses made by AMA. The glasses come with technologies like assisted reality, workflow management, and scheduling. KPMG is using them for audit. And and I guess it they kind of like make this sound really fancy, but what it sounds like it is to me is, is the, the glasses have cameras in them. And so you can have uh, somebody at the client wear the glasses and then you can communicate with them through the software and basically like tell them where to go and what to do. And so KPMG auditors were able to do remote inventory accounts, basically like. So they send the intern out to the client location and the intern just has to do whatever the, <laughs> whatever the senior or whatever the job tells them. Right. It's like you're, it's like you're driving around somebody, right? <laughs> like a human being. I, I thought that was it seems turning like such them into overkill, a drone. Though. It makes, it's, this is dumb. It's completely overkill because <laughs> I'm building this addition on my house. And obviously, you have to pass the county inspectors, right? And all those inspections, they took place via Skype calls, basically. They use yeah. Skype. And then the contractor would take their phone and they go to each little nook and cranny that the um, inspector wanted to see. And they would show it to him. Like, they could have just done this with cell phone technology. Like, it's it's such this is just a PR marketing story to make KPMG seem cool. Like, oh, look, we got these glasses. Like, it's such a waste of resources. It's dumb. It doesn't it's make just- any sense. <laughs> It's it's dumb. Well, you know, maybe when they get the mind control going, right, and they can send the interns out and you can like take over their body, 
Um, and I think that would be really appropriate, right? Like, cause that's kind of what an intern is at the big four, right? It's <laughs> There's just an avatar body that goes out ex- to the client location. Exactly. You know, and they're getting experience. The right? tech solution, so. we constantly see this, these tech solutions looking to people just use when the problem didn't be, the problem did not need to be solved. You could just Skype or whatever, Zoom call on a mobile device. You didn't have to get stupid glasses to do this. It makes no sense. Well, there is definitely an opportunity still in audit to improve and increase efficiency. I spotted another article that featured an interview with Bill Isig, National Managing Partner and Practice Leader of BDO USA's $800 million assurance practice. He said that last February, before COVID began shutting down offices, he did a study internally at BDO where he asked the audit the, he asked the IT team to accompany audit teams in the field and then make recommendations and try to analyze you know how much could they really improve things with tech and i guess the 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 team came back and said that there were 79 individual automations that they thought they could execute at the engagement level it's over 100 now that they've identified and out of 5.2 million audit hours, they could save 1.7 million by eliminating human uh, you know, manual work and incorporating technology, which is like 30 to 35% of time on engagements. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of savings that are available. And it, I don't know, it doesn't surprise me given like how much we've been able to automate in the world of CAS and, you know, even in tax. So are they going to start value pricing those audits then? Because how are they going to justify those huge audit fees when they reduce the hours? This is the double edge of the sword of billable hours. Right. And I mean, this is why I went to fixed pricing in my bookkeeping practice is because when I could automate 80% of the work, right. I'm not going to cut my own hours by 80%, right? I the the fixed fee I came up with was less than I would have billed them hourly to do it manually. But I basically say, gave some of that profit to the client in the form of reduced fees and then save the rest for myself. Well, they're going to they're gonna hide it in fees for other things like uh, it, use of efficiency glasses. Technology fees. Count your image. <laughs> yes. And they're going to, to upcharge because for a client that doesn't know they could have just done it with two iPhones and Zoom, they're going to charge a client a ton of extra money for this special <laughs> service of these goggles or whatever. That, that's what they're going to do. They're just going to hide it in other fees. So I got some, it's kind of app news-ish stuff that ties, you know, there's some opportunities here for, I think, for you as clients. Um, okay. I don't know if you heard that they found Joe Biden's secret Venmo account. What? He has a secret Venmo account? Yeah. So he had a secret Venmo account. You, you, you like, with his grandkids, he's like, "Ah, here's an ice cream cone." I don't know. I'm, I'm exaggerating because they because they found it and they immediately pulled everything down. But the point well, is, it's wait, about who, privacy. Uh, Buzzfeed found it. Oh, Buzzfeed found it, Buzzfeed and then it went it. and then it um, went away. Got it. Yeah, because they basically what happened was there was a pantsing on New York Times article that, and then they saw that he sent his grandchildren money on Venmo. Oh, this is because Venmo. Uh, by default, makes transactions public because they're trying to create some like social aspect to it. A lot of people don't realize this. That is so stupid. I don't even understand. But that. that's how Venmo exploded because Venmo got really hot with the college kids first. Like, hey, because it's kind of like Facebook. You get to see who's hanging out because, like, hey, Blake can reimburse me for a beer. Like, oh, Blake and David are cool. They're going out and having beers. And then, like, so that, that's how Venmo grew. It was all that very big social network part of this money transfer thing. So strange, really. Like, I, I think about that. Venmo. Basically, a social media network all around financial transactions. 
I don't think we've talked. I don't think anybody's realized how strange and interesting that is. But anyway, yeah. please continue. So, so where it ties really to us is so what's happening now is lawyers, the clients want to pay their lawyers with Venmo. Obviously, we just talked about the privacy implications of this. Oh, right. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of guidance on this for lawyers. Only South Carolina has issued any advice on this at all. But there's a lot of complications for there's a, currently the Florida bar is um, it's their number one FAQ as far as their ethics hotline right now is people, can I accept peer-to-peer payments? Can I be paid this way, right? And a lot of the the big risk to you as a lawyer is the privacy mm-hmm. because they pay you. Now they could possibly see all your other clients. Um, but where there's real potential for you is they're trying to make this onus fall on the lawyer. So you as the lawyer need to work with your client, explain confidentiality, attorney-client privilege, make sure the transactions are completely marked as being private transactions. But this is where the expectation of the lawyer actually following up and making sure that compliance is happening probably wouldn't happen. And this is where you, if you have legal clients or your lawyers as clients, you can go in and, and advise them on the best ways to handle their money coming in. And then the other big problem with all these, a lot of these services charge fees if you're a business. Right, right. But you can't do that with trusts. You can't charge a fee when somebody pays you the trust money. So, and then uh, apparently some lawyers were trying to just leave the money in like their PayPal and like that's my, or their Venmo account and that's their trust account. And you can't do that. So, <laughs> so there's just like, there's no privacy with these peer-to-peer, especially the consumer peer-to-peer apps and then tying back into lawyers it yeah. just seems uh so that's a, talk to your legal clients about that uh ransomware is up in april well, oh good on that on that note i mean just we really should not have any clients that are using venmo for business transactions right like this is just it's a nightmare to reconcile it anyway so like that's i think that's an opportunity to educate folks not just the lawyers good luck and then the, the <laughs> privacy part too right you can <laughs> Uh, and what's the, the ironic thing about it is I know that there's a set of people out there that refuse to use cloud accounting because like in QuickBooks online because they're going, oh, the IRS could just read my data anytime they want. But those tend to be the same people that mm-hmm. are using they, – they, they don't want to pay for software or pay any fees, so they try to do everything on Venmo. And it's very clear that even the president could not have a private Venmo account <laughs> without people <laughs> discovering it, right? So there, uh. there's that. Uh, quickly, ransomware attacks have been up in April, and it's because uh, – the main culprit is people are sending out a, a phishing email that looks and feels like a QuickBooks invoice. Like I send you the invoice. Hey, Blake, thanks for your business. You need to pay me $58 or whatever it is. The, but the attachment's an Excel file. And then it launches this infected ransomware thing called Drydex. So be very aware to your clients. Make sure they're very careful when they get those QuickBooks invoices because yep. they're uh, being branded up as that. That's so sad. It's, you know, Microsoft Excel being used as a, a, v, a vector for ransomware. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the Grubhubs and, you know, all the third-party uh, restaurant ordering tools and how they get in between you and your client. And we've actually talked about that with firms too, right? Like there's all these middleman. We'll be the middleman. You'll do the bookkeeping work, right? But we're going to control the customer relationship over here mm-hmm. and you, you, mm-hmm. you don't get to do that. Well, in New York City, they actually have finally announced a bill and the, the bill is actually going to mandate these third-party delivery services to share the customer's name, phone number, email, delivery address, contents of their order, all of that stuff with the restaurants. Interesting. Now, Interesting. the big tech companies, though, that obviously are lobbying against this. Right, right. And it's funny because uh, Grubhub has a service now they've launched called Grubhub Direct. So they want to be able to charge the restaurants to get this extra information. About their customers, so they they're starting. So they're they're fighting against this, arguing that it's the consumer's privacy 
data, right? Um, so this is something to talk to your clients about because I think your clients, you know, as they think, especially coming out of the pandemic, they might not need these services as much. And I think maybe the pendulum and the power might be shifting back to your restaurant clients, right? And picking and choosing which of these services they actually want to use, why they want to use them, you know, what they're being charged, you know, and this is, we talked about this with Domino's. Domino's refuses to use any of these services because they own all the customer data that way. That is all the time we have for this week. Kristen Keats, CPA, it has been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you. It was super fun. If people want to reach you online, find out more about Breakaway, what you're up to, where should they go? So they can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm just uh, Kristen Keats on LinkedIn. And then I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Kristen Keats CPA. Um, so yeah, catch up with me on social media because I'd love to hear, I love to hear like from practitioners and what you're struggling with and see if Breakaway could be a good fit for anyone. We love reviews. If you are listening and you haven't written a review yet, please. It's the number one thing you can do to help us out. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or on podchaser.com. And you can follow me online. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? I'm at David Leary. And I'll see you here next next week. Thanks, 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 Kristen. Thanks, guys. Great chatting with you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.